Hi, everyone. Welcome to Drinking from the Fire Hose, a podcast for school leaders. I'm your host, Ellen Willoughby. Being a campus leader can feel like you're drinking from a fire hose with all the information, requests, tasks, and duties that are thrown your way on a daily basis. So how do you manage to do it all and help students grow? Well, that's what this podcast is all about. Welcome to part two in the continuation of the conversation with Mira Doherty on the topic of culturally responsive schools. I want to share another piece of data that um, according to the Heishinger Report, it's a national nonprofit newsroom and it reports on the only topic of education. And they say that educators who run U.S. schools aren't a diverse group. Almost 80% of the nation's 90,000 principals are white. Only 11% are black and 9% are Latino. And this is all according to federal data. This doesn't come close to reflecting the demographics of the nation's 50 million public school children who are 40%, 46% white, 15% black, 28% Latino, and 6% Asian. So I know that when we were chatting about having you as a guest um, on this topic, the first thing, and I knew that this was going to come up, is you were like, I'm a white lady who is a principal, um, and you're asking me to talk about cultural diversity. Um, I want you to share a little bit more about like why you thought that at the beginning and just kind of your thoughts overall on this data. Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the first important part of this is you have to acknowledge who you are as a leader, right? There needs to be cognizance of who you are as a leader. And, and I don't mean that in terms of, I think some folks use it as like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a white, that's not what I'm saying. I am a white leader and I need to be cognizant of the fact that there has been a huge amount of privilege that has allowed me into the position I currently am right. that, or that I'm in. Um, with that, I have to use that privilege to say I am actively dedicated to creating pipelines, especially for leadership, right? If we look at that data for leadership, it's, it's just really astounding. Right. I will create pipelines for leadership and for my staff that make that make it equitable, right? That we have leaders coming into our schools and that we have leadership pipelines that is valuing our leaders that are coming from the communities that we serve, right? That have some shared background with our students and more than I can say I have. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what that means is in a practical sense, looking at your leadership teams, looking at things like the advisory board that we have at Compass Rose, looking at people like our assistant principals, our principals, our leadership pipelines within our teachers, right? How we advance folks um, and making sure that we are really focusing on leaders that come from the communities we serve, right? And have that yeah. shared background. Um, and so as a white leader, it's something that I need to be doing that work actively and I need to be doing it 10 times more than anybody else. And I need to know who I am, right? I need to be doing the work of actively exploring the biases that I have, making sure that I am using anti-racist practices in my schools. Um, and then also realizing, I think, with all of this, that even though we talk about school leadership, right, and, and I have this role of, like, principal or head of schools, like I said before, you can't lead this. You should not be in, you shouldn't be the person who's steering the boat all the time. Right. Right. Or if you are steering the boat, great. You're asking someone else where to go. Right. You are not just saying like, great, I'm, I'm steering the boat here. I've also like never really been on a boat that much. So I, I don't <laughs> know if this is how boats work, but <laughs> you know, like steering, the, 
driving the van, I guess. Okay. Right. Like <laughs> if you're going to be driving the van, you're, you've got this leadership position. You're also not the person who's deciding where it goes and how you get there and when you're going to stop. Right. That's not how it works. You need to have a team that reflects your community and you need to have a team that is your community. Right that's telling you where to go and how to get there and is taking over the driving and that eventually like you're really not needed in that driver's seat, right? You're setting up the community to drive itself to wherever it needs to go. Um, and so to me, that's what that data really says, right? That's where we need to make this this big shift. Yeah, so it's like they're the GPS in the sense. Yeah. And you're just following the directions. and Exactly. And then I'm using my privilege to to get that right, to buy the van and to get in that seat. But then I'm doing everything I can after that to actually get myself out of the seat. Right. Right. And that sounds strange, but if you and I sit, I mean, you and I will, we'll sit down and talk in, you know, five, 10 years. And when we do, and we're having coffee, ideally having non-socially distanced coffee (laughs) in five to 10 years, I would hope that you and I are sitting there and we're talking about the new principles of my school and how wonderful they are and that these are people who are from the community that we serve or have shared background with our children, right? And I am doing different work at that point because leaders like me should eventually become not useless, but right to some extent, very unique um, and not, not the folks that that typically are in these roles, right? I think we can shift this data if we shift our idea of leadership again to to culturally affirming, right? To looking for leaders who are from our community, to reflecting this culture within the schools that we build and then valuing that, right? Actually putting a value proposition to say, when we hire, when we look for values that are important in our kids and our families and our teachers, we are using the values that were actually created by this community we are not bringing in a separate set of things that we believe that have nothing to do with the community we serve. Yeah, and, the, and that your your students grow up to be the teachers and the leaders of your schools because they are in your community. And, and again, I think like really stamping that um, how we use our privilege, mm-hmm. and that is the most important part. It's not a white savior thing at all. No. That, not at all. It's about how do we use our privilege and how do we listen to those in the community to ensure that we are doing and using that privilege for what is in their best interest and what they desire for their community. Absolutely. And I think when we talk about that privilege, what it means is a lot of times ask others, right? So get, get out of the way, right? Get out of the way, be quiet, and let others share, right? Again, it goes back to that quote that, that, that Celeste was saying, right? Like, you have to do this work. You can't do this work without the community. Right. right? You can't work for a community without the community. Yeah. <laughs> get out of the way, right? Get, so for me, it's about you get that school open and then you listen. You listen to the people that are from there. You put the people who are from that community in charge. You make sure folks have a have a space to speak, a space to be listened to, and a real space of power where what they're saying is being turned into action, right? And there's got to be an equity there. So if you've got a, if you have a position of power or you know any sort of sense of privilege, we need to use that privilege to get out of the way. Right, set up structures to get out of the way and let communities do the amazing things they actually have been wanting to do for years and just have had too much red tape to do it. Nice. Before we get back to the show, we wanted to ask for your help in reaching campus and district leaders. If you like what you hear in this episode, hop on over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and review. 
It really helps people find our podcast and lets us know what we're doing right and also what we can improve upon. And of course, don't forget to mention us to your colleagues. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. Let's talk about another hot topic around this and one that you and I have both um, had really long conversations um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) when we were together. So when we were on a campus together, um, one of the things that we really talked about is being culturally responsive, especially when it became to behavior interventions and discipline. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what your thinking is on that. It's a tough one, man. It is. And we've been through that. I feel like you, <laughs> have. Uh, you have seen me, gosh, I don't even know how many years. It's been a while, Ellen, that it we've done been. that work together. Yes, it has been. <laughs> um, and so you've actually seen me do this wrong. And I think you've, you've seen me sort of like get to the point where, where we're starting to do it right. I don't think anyone's doing it right yet. Um, I think when, you know, or I don't think, I believe, I believe when we are talking about making sure that we are firming culture and that we're doing that through, I almost hate the word discipline because I think it's been just turned into something else. Definitely. But when we're doing it um, with our, you know, any any sort of system we create within our school, especially our systems just of behavior, and I, I think it's culture, right? It's actually the culture of this school. Yes. Um, the Again, it goes back to, do you know your, your community, right? Do you know what they value? Do you know what they want for their children, et cetera? And then thinking about what what are the practices that we say, right? Like what are the things that we believe kids must do every day, right? Here are the things that they must engage in every day. Here are the things they cannot do, right? Here are the things that we think are impeding their education. And then looking at those things continuously with, with the eye on is where are these things coming from? Again, are they reflecting the needs of the community? Are they reflecting what the hopes and dreams of our children and our families are? Are they going to get our kids to that place? Or, and this is where it's really difficult to sort of suss out, are the things we're expecting from children and are saying are right or wrong, are those things, did we put those in place because of white privilege, white fragility? Are those systems and structures in place because of you know, it was just easier, right? Yeah. Kids, you know, kids being in certain kinds of lines, kids being quiet during certain times. Was it just easier for us? And like, that's okay too. We got to admit that. Yeah, we do. I mean, you know, we definitely like, there's a level of control that we feel like that we have to have, or it's going to be like Lord of the Flies. But we also (laughs) know that that's, that's probably not gonna happen especially because kids are great right like yes kids are they're humans and they actually don't right we have to remember there's this there's this idea about what will and won't happen with children when we when we let control go or when we think of you know changing a system and we have to remember all humans want to be loved right they want to do the right thing and sometimes there are things that get in the way of that which is like they're immediate needs aren't being met, right? right? They aren't fed. They don't have a roof. Over there. There's something that their immediate needs aren't being met yet. So we need to meet those first. Sometimes it's that they actually don't know what the right thing is. And we're, we think it's so obvious. We're like, duh, this is the right thing. Right. And I don't know how many times I've seen a teacher do that. I've seen some, you know, I myself have yes, done that in I younger know, years of to. like, well, of course you don't do this. And you see a kid's face and you're like, oh, so you didn't know that. So you did not know what the right, that there was a different choice in that moment. Cool. Let's like talk about that first. <laughs> right. But there's, there's these um, roadblocks to having kids do what's right sometimes. And I think what it's really about is 
actively letting kids know and teaching, here are the values that we hold dear. Here's how you show them every day already, right? You actually already have these values in them because again, they're important to your community. They're part of the fabric of who you are. They're a part of your history. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here's how we build on those, right? Here's how we make really good choices or choices that will get us to where you, where not where I want you to be in your life, but where you want to be in your life. Here's how you can use those values to make those choices. And here's what happens when you don't make them and some really natural consequences that come with those. Right. Punitive measures of, of punishment. They just, we've got it. We've got to get over these. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it as adults, like there are times we don't meet a deadline. There are times that we screw something up and like nobody you know, sends us home or, you know, makes us stay after work and get it done. And, and I know that that part of that, like we're, we're helping kids build their own knowledge and their own self, um, self-awareness yes, um, and self-management through this. But if it's like reactive and it's not a natural consequence to that, are we really teaching them something? I mean, I would say no. Yeah. And I, again, it's it's a little messier. When we're thinking about systems of culture um, or creating the culture of a school, and when I say that, I mean creating systems of, um, you know, behavioral systems. Where we typically have gone wrong is creating these stringent this is what this is what's right, this is what's wrong. Here's what kids must do, here's what kids can't do. And especially in charter schools, right, I I think it's important to just call out this fact. There's no tolerance policy, which actually doesn't refer to anything specific. People have used it, right? No excuses, no, you know, zero tolerance. People throw these things around. Yeah. The issue with that is most of the things that we put on that list are very white normative um, and and usually – you know, pretty racist ideas, right? We have not considered the background of our children. Again, we have not asked that question to our community. What do you want for your children? What's important to you? Um, I think a great example of this is when we think about um, how we allow kids to speak in a classroom and thinking about the volume of, the tone of voice that they use or the volume, et cetera. Well, I want, when, when I think of the, commu- the, um, the conversations I've had with families recently, there has been this idea of advocacy. Families want for their children to be able to advocate advocate for themselves and mm-hmm. to advocate for their community. Great. I think that's wonderful too. Well, then how in the world am I telling a child that your voice level, you know, needs to be at a whisper in the classroom and that you need to, you know, it's it's rude to disagree with someone. Like, no, we actually need to teach children how to actively engage in tough conversations, right. right? And how to how do we have a discussion without raising our hands, right? How does that naturally happen? Because if we want kids who are going to be the next lawmakers, who are going to be people who are on a political stage advocating, they need to know how to be in a conversation where they're not raising their hand and speaking out a whisper. Right, right, absolutely. They need to know how to raise and, and lower their voice. They need to know how to modulate their volume. And they need to they need to be able to explore that within a classroom, not be punished for it. So I I, I think um, again, I believe that we we need to look back at our systems and again use that same tool of what is it people want for their children? What is it children want to be themselves? What are the highest positions of power that we need to 
you know, we need to tell our children are open to them. Right. And then are we creating systems of behavior that get our kids to that place, that tell our kids, yes, you can advocate for yourself. Yes, you can ask questions because I tell you when our kids, you know, when our kids go to the Ivy League school of their choice, they're going to need to be able to go to their professors and ask questions after class. And they're going to need to be able to push back on the ideas of their peers. And if they never learn that because we told them it's wrong, that's going to be a problem, right? Yeah, because because what we're we our current kind of behavior system is really all about compliance, mm. and and it's really all about what makes it in a lot of ways what makes it easier for the teacher. Yes, where there's not a true engagement of of students, and again, like you said, them learning to use their voice, whatever that voice is, and also being known, let, letting them know that 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 their voice is important and matters and should be heard just as much as as the student sitting next to them. Absolutely. And I think as a leader, the way that you can do that, because, look, I've been a teacher. I've been a teacher in Brooklyn and Harlem and Austin, really across south to north. I mean, like, <laughs> you've you done know, it all. <laughs> we, we've we've been there, as, as have you. And I think, you know, I know how tough it is. I know how tough it is to be a teacher and... It, it is so much easier to create these really stringent rules. This is what happens when you don't do this. This happens next. I get that. And I have been there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As a leader, we can really help teachers by saying, and educators, and help ourselves by saying, okay, let's go back to these values that we believe were important. Let's go back to what we believe kids must do in a school, kids can do, kids cannot do. Let's go, let's continuously go back to these these lists. Let's go back to them with our teachers. Let's go back to them with our families and with our community. And then let's make sure to reinforce to our staff and to our community that here's what we want to see, right? And here's where some of it's going to be messy and that's okay. Right. Right. Here's where some of the mess is okay. Of course, as a leader, I have to say like there needs to be some safety. Absolutely. Right? Meaning, like, yes. This is, it's not, yeah, it's yeah, not the idea sure. of like, we don't have rules. Yes. We don't have expectations. But there is this idea of here's what we're expecting and here's where, where we're okay with things looking a little bit different so that teachers don't have a false expectation in their head of, oh my gosh, someone's going to come in and observe my classroom and they're going to see that kids are talking over each other because we're in a unit right now where we're really learning how to have active discussion in class and they're going to be upset with me. Right. Right. We need to, as leaders, make sure that we really communicate here's here's what we're expecting to see, here's what it's going to look like on the way, and then we're going to have discussions with you about it, and we're going to be working with you. We're going to be working as a school and as a community together to figure out how to get there. And sometimes it's going to be messy, but there isn't going to be this sense of like divine retribution, right? right. Like that's not how this is going to work. <laughs> right. We're working on this together, and we're going to figure out how it works, and we're going to make missteps but here's what we're all aiming to do and giving that vision of like, this is what our community wants. Okay, here's how we're going to move together towards getting it. And here's how we're going to you know modulate and shift when it doesn't go right. And having the community be a part of that is huge because that's what we need. We need, we need for that connection and that partnership of, of our families with our schools. Because then when there are things that feel a little bit outside of our locus of control in helping a student, we reach out to the family because they know that kid better than we do. And they know how that they, you know, ways that they can support and help us support in the classroom. 
Absolutely. Wow. This has been so fun. So what I want to do is ask a big a piece of advice question. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to leaders who are just starting out exploring how to create a culturally responsive school? Just kind of, you know, final thoughts on that. Sure. Um, so one, for leaders that are exploring that, what, like way to go. Right? The yes. first thing you need to do is pat yourself on the back and say, it's a tough time in education right now. And there's a million things you could be thinking of. And I know that um, if I was a younger leader at this time, I probably wouldn't. I probably would say, oh, my gosh, that's like something I need to right. think about I'm in a few trying years. to figure out how to do synchronous and asynchronous yes. learning. And I'm trying to, you know, do 90,000 other things Absolutely. in a pandemic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so good for you. And know that this work is important. And it's not work that can be done next year. It's not work that can be done next week because you're always going to have, like, if, if you haven't realized this already, especially for our newer leaders, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is going to be, this is your life, right? This is a pandemic. And so it makes it crazier than normal, but this is your life all the time, right? right? There's always going to be something else happening. There's always going to be a fire burning somewhere. And so one, the first piece of advice is this work, you know, way to go for doing this work. It needs to be done now. Um, two, the second piece of advice would be again, like go on a listening tour, Find a way to make it work with the current workload you have, right? So find something that is on your plate right now, right? Whether it be, um, you know, a drive-through event that you need to host for your school, whether it be a big curriculum question that just is like, you know, so has been sort of on your mind burning there, something about what your kids need, et cetera. Find something that you can sort of mesh with this, this community listening so that you have a way to listen to the community but also feel like, okay, I'm getting something done off my list. Right. And set those blocks for yourself every week where you have to speak to people from the community and at the same time, you can get something done. Eventually, you're going to get to the point where there's a week you don't need to get something done and you're going to have some very cool conversations. Right. But like, that's okay. I'm assuming no one's there yet. If you are, my name is Mara. You contact me. You let me know what you're doing. (laughs) Um, But find a way to do that. And don't be scared. You know, I was initially really scared to reach out to some of the people in in my community, right? Mm -hmm. Even though, like, this is my backyard. Right. Um, People want to talk. People, especially right now, you can literally, I just sent emails, right? Hey, my name is Merritt Doherty. I'm founding a school in Maynard. I just want to hear about your community. Or if I had a specific question, like I really want to know more about what is it you envision for your children in the future, right? What kind of school do you want in your community? Or what kind of event would you want for this fall? Whatever it is, send a bunch of emails out, right? Just at, yeah. f- find people's emails, go on LinkedIn, go on Facebook and send them Facebook messages. I didn't Facebook till this year. Not Facebook, right? <laughs> so like send them some Facebook messages. People will get back to you. They want to talk to yeah, you. Definitely. And then find a mode of talking to them every week so that you can start to get a pulse on what your community wants and needs. If you start that, the rest of it will come, right? The rest of it, you are going to start to see like, oh my gosh, I can now solve this problem with these people from the community. Oh my goodness, there is a way that I can incorporate what I heard from this person that I talked to last week into what I'm doing this next week. It's going to naturally shift what you do. So that is my biggest piece of advice is start there. Start with listening to your community. Start with giving, you know, your community that platform. 
And then if you want to start building on that, think about how you're actually validating the beliefs and the dreams of your community and how are you giving your community a platform, right? That's that third step that I would start to think about is are you really, now that you're listening, are you giving them the stage, right? Mm, yeah. Um, and if you're not, then start to think about that. But get the first two down, right? Start it. Start the work. You right. got to start You just got to start. And start listening, right? Start those two first, then start giving people the stage. Great. Are there are there any resources that you recommend, books for people to read, or, or, or at this point, just start there and then... Honestly, I think there are there are so many books, right? I, I yes. feel like I, I just just as I was driving here was like, oh, I'm not as I was driving, but before <laughs> I was driving, it's like, oh, I need to read this book and was ordering it to my house. I, I think there are so many books right now. There are so many incredible leaders that are speaking about this right now. I would actually, I, I'm going to take sort of an oppositional you know, viewpoint to that, you're probably already doing that, mm. right? Most of the leaders I know are reading a million books. They're doing all those things. You're probably doing that right now. And you can find those list other places. I, as like, you know, a, a white leader in Texas, I actually am probably not the person to ask. Ask somebody who is in your community. There you go. Right? What books to read, what text to dive into, what trainings to go to. I'm not the person to tell you. I think the place to start again is your community. And they're going to tell you those things. Yes, uh, The book I got this morning was mm -hmm. something that somebody told me yesterday. Great. Right? Ask them. Yes. There you go. So as we do with each of our podcasts, I'm gonna, we're going to end with we have a seven short answer questions uh, with an educational twist um, that I just want you to just kind of fire off your thoughts. Oh, fun. So as an educator, what keeps you up at night? That eternal question, right? Um, are we slash have we done everything we possibly could for our kids? As an educator, what allows you to sleep at night? Getting to see my kids the next day. I mean, it's like different right now, but typically there's just, there's that moment where you get to school and kids start coming in, right? And there's just, it's such a joyful moment. And so when I am like, okay, Mary, it is time, time to conk out. That's what I think about. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love to hear in a school? Uh, educators and kids participating in things together. So I don't care if it's like laughing together is the best. Yes. But also like when you have that first heartbreaking novel that a sixth grade class reads together and the teacher and the kids are all in tears, right? It's so, it sounds so weird, but like, <laughs> awesome. and you walk by their class and they're all experiencing this emotion, this like moment together, or they experience their first time. There's like a political disagreement in the class and they're getting to experience that together. But when you can see the adults and the kids in the building experiencing something together for the first time. What sound or noise do you hate to hear in a school? Suspicious silence. You know that, Ellen. <laughs> you know that silence. You know that silence when it's like yes. middle school <laughs> transition time. And all of a sudden you're like, why, why is it so quiet? <laughs> and you know something is wrong. <laughs> that is the greatest answer. Um, what is your favorite word in education? This is so hard. <laughs> uh, Paul Morrissey, our founder, uses this uh, term, the joy love thing. And I really, I, I love that, right? The idea that that's like, we, we need to take so much joy because this is the best profession in the world, right? Like this is hard, but this is the best. We get to do the best work every day and we need to bring so much joy to it. And the fact that like we are here to love each other and love our kids. And that sounds weird and people get super creeped out. But you know this as, as from working with me, like I'm going to tell you I love you. Absolutely. Like Ellen, I love you. You know I love you. Right. I love the kids we serve. 
I love the families we serve. And when you get to a, I, I just love when you get to a place where you've got a community that is joyful and like loves on each other every day. You have done something right. Yeah. It's it's my favorite saying. That's also how you get the hard work done too. And it becomes not so hard then, right? Yes, like when you absolutely. really love each other, it's like, okay, I will do this for you <laughs> because you are so great and I want to see you learn. Right? Like, <laughs> <Yes>. okay. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. What is your least favorite word in education? Um These are actually words that I believe in, but I, I think have just been so misused. Um, one would be structure, right? Just, it's not that I don't believe in structure. Actually, I totally believe in structure. You know this from Rick. Yes. Um, but it's it's just been, I don't know if I can say bastardized, but it's it's been, right? Like, it, the, it, the word has become something very different than what it means. Right. Um, and accountability, I believe highly in accountability. I think people should be accountable. But I think the way that we use it now is actually this very judgmental, blamey thing, which is not what, you know, what it's meant to be. So those two words, when I hear them, they always raise my flag to like, oh, this is going to not be something great. Yeah. Right. Like typically when they're used, it's almost how we talked about like what we, when we, what kids come in with, Mm -hmm. right. That tip, that conversation typically goes not the right way. Right. And those two words typically when I hear them used are being used to talk about real negative things. Yeah. And give people like a visceral reaction as Uh opposed to like an open minded thought that like this is something that can be really good and really helpful and and powerful in a really positive way. Yeah. Like take accountability for the awesome thing you did. Right. Right. Take accountability for that learning that you, that you child put in and that your brain got so much bigger. Yeah. Take accountability teacher for this beautiful classroom environment that you made. We never hear, I just, I'm going to say, I have never never heard heard those sentences. No, no. I don't, I don't know about (laughs) you, but I've never heard those sentences. We do hear accountability in terms of like you need to take accountability for this misaction that you made right you need to take accountability for these negative things which those should come to but it, that's not what accountability means right. accountability right like this sense of ownership over what you do also like let's take accountability for your ability to change mm. have you ever heard that i've never heard nobody that. said that to me no one's <laughs> saying that to me and i don't hear our kids being like oh i would love to take accountability to make that change Mm. Hmm. No. How powerful would that be? Yeah. Versus like I have heard people tell, you know, speak down to kids like you need to take accountability for what you did. That's great. So they take accountability, say, yes, I did it. That's what you want. Like right. that was your big aha moment for a child was like or for a teacher was you got someone to say, yes, twas I. I did it. It me. Like, no. Yes. <laughs> so uh, those words just they drive me up the wall. Okay. And who was your favorite teacher and why? This was really hard. This one was like the hardest. I, I like was really struggling to think about this. Yeah. And I came up with two really different people. One of them, I'm not totally sure how it came into my head. So one is really obvious. Uh, his name was Mr. Mark Flamo. Um, I realized I probably need to look him up at this point, like sent him an email. Yes. But um, he was a teacher at the high school that I went to, Jesuit High School in Portland, Oregon, um, which was just a, a really phenomenal place of instruction. And they, um, he was the first person along with, I think he was our principal at the time, Paul Hogan, that made me love literature, mm. right? I was someone who grew up, um, I went to a school where we spoke Spanish first and so I was a really bad reader in English. And I shouldn't say bad. I was a developing reader in English. But the way it was described back then was like, 
she couldn't read. Right. right? I was, I was not a reader. <laughs> I remember someone telling me that in like fourth grade being like, wow, she's not a reader. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> well, that's a really positive thing to put into a fourth grader's head. <laughs> but remember that was normal. No, back it then. totally like, was. Oh, they're Absolutely. a non-reader. Yeah. Um, and I, and I caught up because I found books that I loved on my own, right? Just sort of like salacious teen novels. Right. But he was the first person that let, that showed me how to dig into it, like open a book and dig into the prose that was there, dig into the writing and figure out how to sort of be, um, like Lucy Calkins talks about this too, right? How to dig into a text and explore and love that process. And I never understood it until him and, uh, and and my principal at the time, both of them really worked together on this very cool and robust English curriculum. So that was great. The other teacher, and I don't know why she popped in my head, but was this woman named Sister Jackie. And she was uh, a middle school teacher of mine. And she got me in like huge trouble all the time. I was literally- <laughs> She got you in huge oh, trouble? <laughs> I was, I mean, okay, good point. I got, <laughs> <laughs> I got myself in trouble and that didn't end in middle that that was pre-existing middle school and ha- has existed far beyond that but you know I, I, I she I was always in trouble with her that's the better way to say it. thank you taking accountability over my actions Ellen um I was always in trouble with sister Jackie but I she was the first person I think that made me realize that she could she could really like me. And at the same time, like she knew what was up, right? Like Uh. she knew what I was doing and it formed, I think for me, it formed a lot of the ideas I had around or that, you know, especially that I use now in terms of, um, we need to, again, sort of like accountability. That's how it, I've sort of revised that idea. It's like, we need to love kids and let them know no matter what they do, we're going to love them. Right. Right. My love is not conditional on anything for my children. Yep. The minute they step in that door, I love them, period. Right. And if they leave that door, I still love them, period. But there are going to be moments where like they just do something crazy and that's okay. Right. Like I'm here for it. one. It may be kind of funny, right? <laughs> it may be enjoyable. It may be really not enjoyable. It may be really uncomfortable. Right. And I'm going to talk, we're going to have a moment where we talk about it, right? We're going to have some moment where we need to figure this out, but it is not going to make me love you less. And so I think she was the first person that like made me realize that in education. And now that is a really important concept to me with our kids. Well, Mira, I cannot thank you enough for you sharing your knowledge with us today. Um, and then on this really incredibly important topic and also just the great laughs as well. <laughs> and we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of Drinking from the Fire Hose, a podcast for campus leaders. If you liked what you heard on this episode today, please hop over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and review. It helps people find our podcast and lets us know what we're doing right and what we can improve upon. And of course, don't forget to mention this to your colleagues. Thank Thanks you, again. Ellen.